I'm Carrie. And I'm Emily. And we are the voices of Tarbis. What's Tarbis, I hear you ask? Well, Tarbis is a blog that we do together um, where we visit historical houses or places of historical import and we blog about them, basically giving uh, our opinions on the place, um, how well it's presented, facilities, things like that, and sandwiches because we love sandwiches. And that is in our name. But we decided that we wanted to do another medium. We wanted to do a podcast to talk more in depth about lots of different aspects of history, not just a specific era of the place that we're visiting. So we will go from Stone Age to Victorians, inventors, monarchs, everything here. And you'll hear some of our opinions and what we think and possibly some debates. Indeed, and we would encourage you as well to get in touch. You can leave reviews um, or you can you can contact us through our blog um, just to see what you think or if there's any particular people, places, events, things like that that you'd like us to talk about, we'd be more than happy to do that. Yep, so sit back, relax and enjoy Tabas After Hours. So, to start off, we are going to discuss the Tudor era. Yep, I thought it would be a good place to start because everybody, I think, has heard of the Tudors. So we thought it'd be a nice place to start to ease us in. In fairness, it is a pretty iconic era. It is one of the most defining eras in English history, I would argue. Yeah, but however, however, they, oh, there's a but. The Tudor dynasty, the Tudor dynasty, didn't actually last very long. No, in the grand scheme of things, <laughs> it was it was about a century. You know, it was from uh, 1485 to yeah. 1603. Yeah, and um, so it was it was like less than 150 years. I think to be honest, it was only really the start of a dynasty or the start of a different dynasty because the death of Richard III at the Battle of Bosworth, 22nd of August, 1485, that marks the end of what what we now know as the medieval era, yeah. as the Middle Ages. Um, so it's just kind of... They, they were an era unto themselves and they did sort of set the tone for monarchs to come but and they were pretty awesome. I mean, you have some of the most ostentatious characters yeah. in the British monarchy but yeah, in the grand scheme of things, it wasn't very long, was it? It was it really three wasn't. generations essentially. That was it. Yeah, literally it. But obviously, it started off. You got Henry the Seventh, mm-hmm. Henry Tudor, who was obviously son of uh, Margaret Beaufort. Yep, descended through. He, he made his claim to the throne. Um, he was named heir by Henry the Sixth during the War of Roses. The Roses, sorry. However, um, he was actually descended through a bastard line um, from John of Gaunt who was one of the uncles, I believe, of Richard II, and was the father of the soon-to-be Henry IV. So is a, it is a claim, it's a legitimate claim to the throne, just quite stretched. It's a legitimate claim through an illegitimate line, so there, there are some potential problems there. But she was, by all accounts, Margaret Beaufort was a very pious woman, and she was absolutely devoted to the cause of getting her son on the throne. Yes, no she matter was. What. You've got to give her that. Yeah. There's many other things I could say about Margaret Beaufort, but uh, that is one of the pros for her. Yeah, just putting this out there right now, personal, personal opinions, cards on the table, she's not one of our favourite historical figures. Yes, but, you know, all views are our own. Yep, and let's, let's try and be as objective as possible. Yes. Right, so after Henry VII... Yep, we had my babe, Henry VIII. (laughs) To be fair, in his younger days, he was a bit of a babe. As he got older, he was a bit more, you know, a bit more walrus, less babe. Well, that's what happens when you become king and you have to go to all of the feasts 
and Henry did like to feast. He did, and to be fair, you know, vegetables were not on the menu that often. So. Vegetables were for the poor people because they were just got from the land. Yeah, it was it was meat and game and sugary treats because that was um, that was when you started to see the real insurgence of um, like sugary goods. It wasn't until Elizabeth um, I, was it? I don't know if he had if he had any exposure to sugar, but he certainly would not have had a what we would consider a healthy diet. It was no. more very more the uh, the paleo diet, shall we say? Yes, <laughs> and he was. A larger gentleman yeah. upon his death. He, he was. I mean, he had to be hoisted onto a horse towards the end of it. That's a bit unfortunate. But in his younger days, he was apparently uh, a bit of a beefcake. He was a fantastic jouster. Mm, the Plantagenet line was strong in that one, I think. Definitely. But more on, uh, more on him later. Uh, came after Henry VIII. His son, Edward VI. Which is so unfortunate. <laughs> He's, Henry VIII spent his entire reign trying to secure the Tudor dynasty by having a son. Yeah. And he finally got one. He died thinking, yes, I have a son. We'll carry the Tudor line forever. And he died six years later at 15. I'd like to think that when Edward got to the afterlife, Henry was just standing there going, you had one job. One job. But look what I did to <laughs> England for you. I changed the whole religion for you. I mean... Yeah, it was it was awkward, and not only did then his next two heirs were women, but his son's heir that he named was also a woman, Lady Jane Grey. Yeah. Although we will be debating later on whether she should be Lady Jane Grey or Queen Jane. Queen, but like Carrie said later. So after um, Edward and mm-hmm. uh, Lady Jane, nine days, and then she was brutally martyred. By uh, Mary the First, or rightfully executed by the rightful queen. There we go. Hey, historical. It, it all depends on you know which side of the fence you sit on, or if you sit on the fence and just sort of observe. But um, yeah, there was Mary who had the moniker of Bloody Mary. I don't know whether she deserved that. I, I mean, yes, her family did worse, but I think it's because she did so much in such a short time, and she lost Calais. Yeah, I mean, that, that did not sit well, considering <laughs> we, had, we had the Hundred Years' War and the, the Field of Golden Cloth and things like that. Uh, feel, yeah, it was... She didn't do well by that score. And then getting in with Philip II of Spain. Spain. Um, <laughs> yeah, who... Uh, he didn't do well with her sister. No, who came next? Yep. And that is the Gloriana. Good old Queen Bess. Yep, Queen Elizabeth I, and obviously she didn't marry... She didn't father any children. Father any children? <laughs> yes. No, we're just about to out queens. <laughs> no, she didn't, she didn't parent any children. Yeah, she didn't she have didn't. any children. So when she died in 1603, the Tudor dynasty ended. Although you could argue that it sort of carried on because it was with, um, through the line of her, her aunt, uh, her, yeah, her aunt, Margaret Tudor, that um, had the Stuart line because she married James IV of Scotland. Yeah. So, in, in a way it did, in a way it didn't. And then we had the Gloria Stuart line who were, had their ups and downs, let's put it that way. Yes, and more on them at a later podcast. So, yep. that was what we would call a brief overview of the Tudors. Whistle stop to all. Definitely. Um, that, that was the monarchs themselves. I mean, the, yes. the era itself is... Um, I mean, we say the Tudor era because it's a Tudor dynasty. Mm-hmm. It was a time of a lot of change, both in, in Europe and in England. You had 
Um, there was the Lutheran religion sweeping through. Yeah, I'm not sure we've had a change in our world as significant since the Tudors. They changed, like you said, religion. Yeah. Completely broke away from Catholicism. Mm-hmm. And Henry was like, you know, I'm going to start my own church in the Church of England. And that's still what the majority of people, the religion that they have in England today. Yeah, I mean, um, historian Dave Starkey, he referred to it as the first Brexit. Yeah. Which, in a way, it was. I mean, the it was a defining religion throughout Europe. And then Henry just broke away with it. And... He could he could cite as many reasons as he wants. You know, he could say that he didn't agree with with the um, with the Pope, with the way the Catholic, the Catholic religion was run, um, the idolatry there, worshiping idols, the wealth that they'd amassed, all that. We know the real reason, Henry. You have been outed. It was all for Anne Boleyn. It was, um, but he wouldn't say it was for Anne Boleyn per se. It was because he believed that Anne would be able to give him a son, and he wanted to continue the Tudor line. Anne Boleyn, you had one job. Bless her heart. Um, but they're not just a religion. Also, um, they had the wars with France and Scotland. Yeah. They were quite significant in the time of the Tudors. They were. Um, that was, I mean, one of the most significant ones was when James the Fourth of Scotland, um, who was married to Henry's sister, he was killed at the Battle of Flodden. And that was actually a battle instigated and technically led by Catherine of Aragon. Um, who, to be fair, she had a warlike gene in her, being the daughter of Isabel of Castile. Um, she, she was quite the warrior queen, and she actually, she sent Henry, who was at that time in France, she sent him um, the bloody shirt of James as proof that he was dead. However, there is some debate as to whether his body has ever actually been found. Oh, really? Yeah, there are some who believe that he didn't even die at Flodden. But uh, his body supposedly was brought back and buried in, I think it's Blackfriars, but if, if anybody knows different, please correct me on that, um, in London. And it was sort of, it was carried in a lead coffin and everything, but his wife, Margaret Tudor, never got to, she never saw it. Yeah. Um, after, before he went to Flodden, she never saw him again. So, yeah, that was the end of it. That was, um, I mean, that, that was battles, and that, that shaped the relationship between the Stuarts and the Tudors yeah. up until Elizabeth. But, um, yeah, it also, again, a, another war, and it's, it's changed the relationship, the ongoing relationship between England and Scotland, which has, let's face it, been a little bit bumpy. It's been strained. It's been strained. Now we're, we're okay, I think. Yeah, but we're kind of like siblings. <laughs> yeah, we've, we don't always see eye to eye, but we're, uh, we love each other yeah. nonetheless. I will just say at this juncture, I am half Scottish, so yeah. Yeah, I'm I cool with that. have no Scottish blood, unfortunately. Um, so next, there was quite a few revolts. There was a lot of uh, pretenders to the throne or mm. claimants to the throne. You've obviously had Lambert Simnel and Perkin Warbeck, who yep. both claimed to be one of the prisoners in the tower. Mm-hmm. Um, they weren't. They wanted to take the throne from Henry Seventh, but um, he knew better. You had the execution of the two children of George, Duke of Clarence. Yeah. Um, you had Edward, who was actually the Earl of Warwick. He was ex- executed during the reign of Henry VII. And then you had Margaret, who later became Margaret Pole, who was then executed at the orders of Henry VIII. Mm-hmm. Um, and didn't her, wasn't it her son, Reginald Pole, yeah. then tried to cause a ruckus, shall we say? Yeah. But then there was also, obviously, Mary, Queen of Scots. She had a legitimate claim to the throne. Mm-hmm. And... Um, she tried to take it. Whether she did, or whether people who supported her, because she was obviously a Catholic, yeah. whether they she had, it was the supporters doing it in her name, 
Uh, but she was um, executed uh, by Elizabeth. So quite yeah. a few people tried to take the Tudor throne. No one uh, succeeded. No one succeeded until it was actually handed over. Yeah. And then the Scots got it anyway. So Mary had waited just a little bit longer. Yeah, she wanted it for herself, though. And her she son did. got it in the end. And in fairness, she had the backing of France um, for, for a while because of her relationship to Francis. Yeah. But um, again, Mary, Francis, all that, more about that later. Because we, we are going to come back and do a, a little expose on individual characters. Yeah. And there are some characters. There have been some characters. Um, but also, lastly, a little bit of the, the Tudors, obviously the sickness. Mm. Um, sweating sickness was quite a massive thing. Um, Anne Boleyn had the sweating sickness, and Henry VIII basically told her not to come because he was quite a germaphobe. Yeah, he was. He he made some of his own uh, remedies, his own little concoctions to try and make it to keep himself healthy. And so he sent Anne Boleyn, told her not to come back until she was better. So that was quite strife back in the uh, the Tudor times and plague. Things, the irony about the sweating sickness is that is that is something that people believed was brought over and quite possibly was um, by the by the army of mercenaries that came over with Henry Tudor because he didn't have necessarily an army of loyal ban- loyal I mean, he had the Stanleys and he had a couple of people in England that his mother had got together, but the vast majority of um, his army was made up of mercenaries that he got from France, um, and it was believed that they brought the sweating sickness over and it was supposedly a a curse that the Tudors had brought with them uh, for usurping usurping the York throne and um, taking the country by force. I mean, that's that's what the, the Yorkist fans say. So yeah, it's but, an interesting take. But Henry VIII, seventh even, did marry Elizabeth of York, so he united, you know, the Tudor rose and the, you know, the red and the white roses, they combined. So... Yeah. Yeah, I mean he he made that power move and it was a it was a good move to be fair politically. And if you ever get a chance to go to the Bosworth Battlefield in Leicester, um they actually do have a rose there which is a hybrid of the red and white rose and they call it the Bosworth Rose. That's good. We should do it soon because apparently they might be turning Bosworth Field into a car park. Um there's a, a driving like a driving centre actually um in the the battlefield itself because the battlefield isn't where the battlefield centre is. It's a few fields over because they, they thought it was one place originally, but then archaeological evidence showed them it was actually a few fields over. And that's where they're looking to build this driving centre and car park. And, uh, yeah, the irony of Richard III being found under a car park and then where he died being put under a driving centre is, uh, yeah. <laughs> right, so that's the Tudor era in a nutshell. Uh, next, we will discuss whether we believe that Lady Jane Grey, should she be queen? Who knows? Let's have a chat. Let's think about it. Okay, so now on to Lady Jane Grey and the debate there. So basically, Jane Grey was unfortunate. Um, she was the granddaughter of uh, Henry VII. Um, she was the no, she was the great granddaughter, wasn't she? She, she was, was the great granddaughter of Edward IV and Elizabeth Woodville. Great, great. She's the granddaughter of Mary, who was Henry VIII's sister, and Charles Brandon. Um, they had a daughter, Frances Brandon, who then had um, who had Jane Grey. Now, um, Jane had two sisters, Mary and Catherine, and they were cousins to Elizabeth, Edward, Mary. And then, in his will, Edward proclaimed that Jane and all of her male heirs be his successors. Um, obviously, this did not go well for her. 
um, because Mary thought that she had a right to the throne. This is Mary, um, Mary Tudor. And Jane, she only reigned, I mean, she was crowned, she was anointed and everything, she was technically queen, but she only ruled for a grand total of nine days. And that was from the 10th of July, 1553, up until the 19th of July, 1553. Um, at that point, all of her supporters pretty much deserted her. The Privy Council changed in favour of Mary, uh, Mary massed an army and um, took the throne. And then she was imprisoned in the Tower of London, convicted of high treason in November. Um, but here's one thing I didn't realise before looking into um, things for this podcast. She was actually, she wasn't executed until the 12th of February, because I thought her execution followed like swift on the heels of Mary taking over. Yeah. But she wasn't actually executed until, was it the 12th of February? It was the 12th in 1554. And Mary didn't want to do it. Like, Mary, she basically gave Jane a decision. She said, convert to Catholicism and I will spare you. And, um, but because she was such a, such a staunch Protestant, so, um, she basically said, no, I don't, I can't. So begrudgingly, um, Mary did have her executed. She was beheaded, um, on the morning of the 12th of February after watching her husband get beheaded. That husband being uh, Henry Gray, no, no, Henry Gray was her father. Um, Henry, yeah, uh, her husband. That's oh, that. That must have been awful seeing, seeing that. I mean, knowing obviously knowing that you're going to be executed is bad enough. Um, but it was Lord Guildford Dudley. That was it. Um, yeah, but seeing your husband killed first, and then yeah. oh, that's unfortunate. But her father, Henry Gray, did also get executed on the twenty third of February. Well. I, I kind of, it was his fault that she was executed in the first place. Yeah, the Wyatt Rebellion. Yeah, he, he joined forces with that, um, uh, which was a rebellion against Queen Mary wanting to marry Philip II of Spain. Yeah. Um, and, yeah, that, that led to Jane, because she, she was still a threat at that point. Um, so that led to that. So, I mean, it, it, can't, it can't have been easy for her. No. But because she, uh, obviously, she was executed for the... Purely for the fact that she wouldn't convert to Catholicism, she has gone down as a Protestant martyr. Mm. So that I mean, that kind of set the tone for Mary's reign, yeah, in general, because that sort of thing happened a lot. It did, but this debate wasn't about Lady Jane Grey because we've said all about her, given her a little bit of a, a talk up. The debate is: should she be known as Lady Jane Grey? Or Queen Jane Grey. I mean, she was queen. She was anointed. She was coronated. She was a queen. Why do we not call her Queen Jane Grey? Why is she not included in the kings and queens of England? Was she technically recognised by the court and the Privy Council, though, and the people? Must have been to be coronated. You can't get coronated without the Privy Councils. I mean, technically you can. If you've got enough support, you you can be crowned. But... If they then switched their support to Mary and said that she was the rightful queen, that then negates Jane's claim. That then would say that she has claimed the throne illegitimately. She she doesn't have a leg to stand on, so to speak. And, I mean, yeah, I get where you're coming from in that she, she was crowned, she was anointed with the holy oil. That would make her technically a queen. But I think because it's the shortest reign in English history... That's probably why she's not known as Queen Jane Grey. She should be. be. Yeah, 100%. I agree she should be. Definitely. It's going to be a one-woman mission. 
Okay, you you can do it. I I believe in you. Thank you. We'll see it all over the news, and there'll be there'll be petitions to sign because everybody loves a petition. This is England. We love a petition. We do. I'm going to start one. Okay, you do it. You do it. I'll sign it. Thank you. Um, obviously, please give your views on the debate if you think <laughs> Lady Jane Grey should be Queen Jane Grey, um, or just Queen Jane in general. Mm-hmm. Then, by all means, yeah, please drop us a review and let us know what you think. Yes. So, the next part is a bit more opinionated <laughs> in the way that it is a little debate between Carrie and myself over our favourite Tudor monarchs. They are slightly different. Mm. My favourite, as you can probably tell, I think Henry VIII was just life in general. <laughs> um, I think he might be up there as my favourite monarch, period. We're so nerdy, the fact that we have favourite monarchs. Yeah, we are. But which one is yours, Carrie? Mine, probably cliche being a woman, but mine is Elizabeth the first. Okay. You said the third. We've only had two. Wow, foreshadowing. <laughs> Yeah, um, it would be Elizabeth I. Um, I mean, yeah, she brought an end to the Tudor dynasty, but she was pretty iconic. Why? Well, obviously, she is Gloriana, the mm-hmm. Virgin Queen. She is possibly one of the most recognised queens in English history. Not that we've had a whole a whole heap of them, although we have had more than you would realise. But that's something we'll come back to later. Um, she uh, she only reigned well she reigned for a long time actually um, she reigned between November 1558 to March 1603 um, and at the time of recording this podcast it was her birthday a couple of days ago it was it was indeed um, she was born on the 7th of September in 1533 um, unfortunately two and a half years later her mother was then killed by her father so she had a bit of a rough up- upbringing you know she was she was born as a princess immediately then proclaimed a bastard in quick succession and then you had the whole it was like a game of leapfrog with with her and the others um as to who would actually be in the line of succession she was out of her father's favor for quite a while um and it was only really the the work of catherine parr that brought mary elizabeth back into henry's favor and towards the end of his life um she was she was imprisoned by mary and her sister for the best part of a year, um, she was imprisoned in the Tower because Mary suspected her of supporting Protestant rebels. Um, whether or not she actually had a part in that plot, not 100% sure. But um, she, yeah, she was basically, she was imprisoned for that. And then obviously on Mary's deathbed, when Mary died childless, she named Elizabeth as her heir. She then became queen. Um, she had, she was, she oversaw quite quite an interesting age as far as the arts go um, and that's why it's been called a golden age and it's the only golden age we've had to date in England um, where you've got the likes of Shakespeare, you've got the likes of Marlowe, um, fantastic playwrights, fantastic authors, poets um, coming forward. You've also got with the with the advent of the printing press at the latter half of the 1400s um, you've got more written word getting out there so obviously it was available to a wider audience um, there was obviously the investment in music and in painted arts as well. Um, I mean, she was a big advocate of of portraits, and she used quite a lot of portraits to show, to, to basically give propaganda of herself to the people. 
and there are um, there's a couple of iconic portraits. I mean, there's the one that pretty much everyone studies at school, isn't it? The one with the um, the serpent on the arm, the rainbow the pearls, portrait, the rainbow portrait. Um, and it's a lot of propaganda, and it's it's to create this perfect image, which she then propagated by her actions because she could have been pushed into marriage with another suitor, uh, which which her sister Mary was. Um, for the betterment of England, but that would mean giving up her power, that would mean sidestepping for a king to take the place. And obviously there would be a lot of pressure to choose the right king. Um, so in the end, she decided that she wasn't going to do it, she was going to marry England instead. And that was... But... But... That was all because, you know, Robert Dudley killed his wife. Allegedly killed his wife. His played wife lots made... of card games with old Elizabeth. Well, yeah, they, they played lots of card games and his wife fell down the stairs. Mm-hmm. It's unfortunate. These things do happen. If you're clumsy, you've had a little bit too much wine at the local feast, bang, stairs, not a good combination. Okay. Whether she did it herself, whether she jumped, was pushed, or it was just an unfortunate accident, unfortunately we'll never know. But she was, Elizabeth was very enamoured of Robert Dudley and that did put a spanner in the works. He then went on to marry again, and that didn't end so well for him because she was really quite annoyed at that. Um, she had quite a few loyal loyal courtiers. She had um, William Cecil. Um, she also had uh, Walter Raleigh, and towards the end of it, the, the Explorer. Um, again, we'll be doing something about Explorers again in a later episode. Um, she also had Francis Walsingham, the Spymaster. So she had quite a good network. She was very well informed, very, very intelligent. She could speak a number of languages, including Cornish, English, Welsh, Irish, Latin, um, amongst others. Very, very intelligent woman. Um, But it all got a little bit sad towards the end because she obviously, she lived a long life. uh, She had quite a long reign, but she lived to see a lot of her friends die. And apparently... Towards the end of it, she tried to stay awake because she didn't want to go to sleep because she knew that if she went to sleep, if she laid in bed, if she went to sleep, she'd die. And she said, my kingdom for a minute more. That is one of her, that's a reported example of her last words. And that's quite sad. But that is not her most iconic speech. No. Do you have... It (laughs) is the speech that she gave on the battlefield... It is indeed. When um, Philip II of Spain, once his advances with her were uh, rejected, shall we say, because um, he wanted to marry her after Mary died. He just wanted England. He did. He did want England. And he tried several times to launch an armada, none of which <laughs> succeeded. Um, but the closest they got, Elizabeth decided to amass an army. And she actually came out in, um, in armour. On saddle, um, on horseback even, on saddle, what? On horseback, um, and addressed her people to say, to give the like, the iconic speech that um, though I have the body of a weak and feeble man, a weak and feeble woman, sorry, but I have the heart and stomach of a king and a king of England too. And um, that, apparently that caused all of the people around her, all of her soldiers, to start cheering Gloriana, which is where she got the nickname from, Gloriana. Um, and, yeah, we we won because we haven't had a Spanish king. So, go Gloriana. And that, in a nutshell, I mean, we will do a full expose on each of these, each of the rulers, but that, in a nutshell, is why I love Elizabeth so much. She's such, a, she's such an icon, she's such an inspiration. 
she refused to be beholden to conventions or to a man and she she did what she could for her country whilst also apparently having a damn good time of it yes, and eating she, lots yeah. of sugar yes she did eat lots of sugar <laughs> and use lead based paint that was a that was a clever so yeah that would be elizabeth but i'm pretty sure she wasn't as iconic as her dad come on henry the eighth everyone knows henry the eighth Mo obviously more commonly known for having six wives. Yeah. You know, <laughs> divorcing, beheading, dying, divorcing, beheading, surviving. Yeah. There's my the little little rhyme. Um, but Henry he uh, reigned from uh, fifteen forty seven to fifteen. Uh, no, fifteen forty seven he reigned. Mm -hmm. Um, he was born on fifteen oh nine. Mhm. So um, he wasn't actually supposed to be king. So Henry had like a, a childhood where I guess you kind of liken him to slightly like Prince Harry, mm. where you don't you know that you're kind of like a prince. You're you've got some responsibility, but not as much. So you can kind of relax a little bit more. Mm. Um, and so he did. And then unfortunately, his brother died quite young, Arthur, mm -hmm. and so. Uh, he was thrust into the limelight, as it were, and um, he was king. Some say he wasn't quite ready, but I think he did quite well. He uh, married Catherine of Aragon um, in... Sorry, he married Catherine of Aragon and in 1533. Um, sorry, no, that's when his marriage was annulled in 1533. He married Catherine of Aragon So after. many dates. I know, <laughs> he had a million wives. You've got to give me a second. <laughs> Uh, no, when he married Catherine of Aragon, it was um, she was actually married to his brother, mm -hmm. but apparently they didn't uh, consummate it, which was a lie, because it was actually people used to watch that sort of stuff. And um, so he was allowed to divorce her. I personally think Rome were just a bit harsh. Um, <laughs> he obviously divorced Catherine of Aragon or had the marriage annulled due to the fact that Henry said that he she did consummate the wedding, which meant his marriage to her was null and void, hence why well, they had no babies, or no baby boys, they obviously yeah. had Mary the first, then came Anne Boleyn, and with that came the, you know, the Reformation, mm -hmm. the change to the Church of England, so Elizabeth may have, you know, fended off the, uh, fended off the Spanish, mm -hmm. Henry changed the country's religion for a woman that he loved. He was passionate. Come on. I want someone to love me enough to change an entire country's religion. I mean, that, that, that would be nice, and that's a Nicholas Sparks novel waiting to happen. However, I'm pretty sure less people died from the Spanish Armada than did the Reformation. Yeah, well, he was in love. And Anne Boleyn was a tease. Anne Boleyn was like, I'm not being another one of your ghosts on the end of your post of your bed <laughs> you ghost on the post yes <laughs> i am going you're not getting me until we are official so she teased him and he fell for it because henry was a passionate man he was also extremely good at sports mm -hmm. he was did the he javelin jousting he was even the first person to do the decoupage with the uh, horses didn't Dressage. He, he invented the whole thing just so he, that he could show off how well he could ride. Because he was he was damn good at it. He really was. Also, he fended off wars. 
Um, the Pilgrimage of Grace, mm-hmm. which we'll come on to in more detail. That was very clever. He was so clever. He was so politically clever, which he got from his dad, because his dad was really, really good with foreign policy. Um, he did go to a lot of wars, but he had the money from the monks, so uh, that was fine. <laughs> uh, and talking of monks, it is reported that Henry's last words on his deathbed was, monks, monks, monks. I would love to know why. Yeah. Maybe he had a bit of a guilty conscience on his deathbed. I don't know. But um, he's also known as the father of the Navy. Mm-hmm. Because there was a, the, uh, they didn't really care much about being on a boat before. Or having armies on boats, cannons on boats, anything like that. Mm-hmm. There was only a few. But in Henry's reign, he went from a few to 50. Wow. He was so passionate about the Navy... And that's why we have a navy as vast as we do today. So Henry changed a lot. I think he has paved the way for all of the monarchs since. The things that he changed, the things that he did. Yes, changing the church made England go on like a pendulum of Protestant, Catholic, Protestant, Catholic, Protestant, Catholic for so many years. But, um, yeah, he did it for love. Can I just give a shout out to Elizabeth in that pendulum where she tried her best. I mean, it, it didn't exactly work, but she tried to, to practice religious tolerance. It's basically let them worship as long as they are still loyal. Stop trying to get in with all my bad. My bad. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. King, good old king, let's just change your religion because I want to bed this woman. And he then didn't he's... do it to bed the woman. <laughs> he did it because he wanted to marry her. Yes, because bedding her was a side effect. No, how many people nowadays have benefited? Not everyone marries... The person they marry is not who they always continue to be. And because of Henry VIII, he's given an out for people to get divorced, an out to leave unhappy lives, to leave unhappy marriages, to find happiness. Henry VIII did that. I mean, technically divorce was around before then, but it was a lot more of a complicated process and you had to really jump through hoops to prove it. So he has given that, and he, um, in converting the Bible to English, he did make the the so-called Word of God more accessible to people in general, and allowed people to worship more. And technically, he did stop because the churches, the churches at the time, especially the the bishops, archbishop, car- car- carnivals, cardinals, sorry, <laughs> carnivals. Were getting um, there was a lot of avarice going on there. They were they were benefiting. I mean, just look at Cardinal Wolsey. I mean, he built himself a series of palaces from the money that he had. Um, the income he actually um, Henry Percy, the Earl of Northumberland, he actually stopped his income because of the debts and gave him an allowance. He gave an earl an allowance. Not bad for a butcher's son. Not really. He did all right. Yeah. Good old Wolsey. But um, yeah. So that's why I think Henry the Eighth is. Um, the best monarch and a proof of that, the whole religion thing you're actually you're not sat with us but you're listening I am Church of England you are Catholic I was raised Catholic yeah I was christened Church of England so we're actually sat here <laughs> with the two different religions that were being debated back in the early 1500s yeah I mean um, it's it's interesting to think how different the world would have been or how different things would have looked if he hadn't have divorced Catherine, if he hadn't have gone Church of England, and also if Catherine had given him a son, or if Edward would have survived, how different would things have been? It would have. It's crazy 
how different things would have been. But everything happens for a reason. We needed things to be as they were back then for them to be like they are now. That's true. If if you agree with one or both of us, um, or if you disagree and have a completely different monarch, or if you are from an alternate timeline where Henry did have a child, a uh, son uh, that survived, and uh, you just want to tell us how things went, give us a review. Let us know. Yeah, but I think we were we're coming to the end of our first podcast. I think it's actually gone quite well. Yeah, it's it's been good. It's been it's been interesting. It's good to chat about it, and obviously everything that we've gone through tonight, we'll go through in more detail. Yep, but, and bear with us. Um, we may sound a little bit rustic, but the more we do, we hope the more professional we sound. But we are drinking Rioja, so I can't make any promises. <laughs> um, but our final thing of something we want to do, we want to introduce to the end of all of our podcasts, is something slightly different, and. Um, We've decided that we're going to end the podcast with a ridiculous death. It, it won't have anything to do with the time period that we're in. It may, it may not. Um, it might be how they died, why they died, or just some sort of ironic reason or to their death. And this first person is actually... I couldn't stop laughing, I know that's really bad, but I just love irony, and this one is a doozy. It was, um, this was basically a poor man, um, he was walking through a field one day and there was a cow in the field, cow had horns, man met horns, horns won. Basically he was, he was gored to death by a cow. Now, Which is really sad, no, that must have bloody hurt. Well yeah, I mean it's, it's traumatic, it's horrible, um, it's not in any way funny. No, the death is not funny. What is funny however is the man's name. Gored to death by a cow was Mr. Robert Carr. <laughs> <laughs> this, ladies and gentlemen, is what I'm working with. <laughs> I just can't. That's like the de- definition of irony right there. It's, it's awkward. It's, it's one of those ones where you just... <laughs> someone says it. Oh, what happened? Robert Carr died. How did he die? Gored to death by a cow. <laughs> Ooh. Literally, God saw an opportunity right there. <laughs> he, he does have a sense of humour, to be fair. In situations like that, he has a sense of humour. Oh, so oh. this our uh, first podcast is dedicated to Robert Calf, the man who got killed by a cow. And the cow that was then traumatised after. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, someone's got to think of the cow. We shall be back again next Tuesday. Tune in, and as always, please let us know what you think.